Welcome to We're Not Selling Shoes Here, a podcast for small charities, giving people the chance to think about why they do what they do and how they can make more of an impact or explain more of their impact to gain awareness. I'm Benjamin, I'm hosting, and I'm talking today to Adam Baker, Charity Director from Refugee Roots. Refugee Roots is a charity supporting asylum seekers and refugees to build new lives in the UK. Adam, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, it's great to be here with you today. Fantastic. I'm gonna get cracking straight on. Um, I think basically what I'm trying to do is is talk to as many people as I can about why you're not selling shoes, (laughs) essentially. So the question that we're gonna kick off with is why are you doing what you're doing and not out there just selling shoes? Okay, <laughs> I've never thought about selling shoes before, but uh, I'll tell you why we're doing what we're doing. Um, we we exist because um, we, we know that asylum seekers and refugees face many challenges when they come to the UK seeking protection um, and seeking refuge. And uh, those uh, complex situations that they have to navigate through can be um, overwhelming daunting and sometimes even adding to the trauma that they've already experienced. So we want to reduce uh, those barriers by providing support and empowerment initiatives through befriending and friendship uh, through our volunteers and staff that will help just reduce those barriers and help them to help the participants to navigate some of the difficult and complex things um, that are part of um, moving to a new place, living in a new environment, but also um, going through a system which is very hostile um, and deliberately so, um, and being with them through some of the most difficult times. That's absolutely fantastic. Obviously, it gives you an overview of, of of what the organization you're working with does. But what about you? The reason I ask about selling shoes is because what I really want to talk about is about your motivations. So obviously um, okay. selling shoes, that there's a reason to sell shoes, right? Because uh, walking around barefoot, you don't get very far. But some of us, and you know, you're here today, you're working in the organization you are today, because I, I think you're, you're the same as me. Some of us just can't go out and just sell shoes for the rest of our lives. We need something that takes us a little bit further not that selling shoes okay. as i say is a bad thing but no it's not why are you doing this with refugee routes why okay. are you doing anything in a non-profit zone instead of selling shoes i i, I think um because i feel uh, very much um part of the problem and um responsible um and i feel like i have to be i have to be part of the change, part of things being different. Um, and the the most obvious way for me to do that is in my career, um, because that's where I spend most of my time. Um, and um, it's, 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 it's every day. And so I have to be in that world where 
um, I'm, I'm able to, to make a positive contribution towards change and transformation. And, and so that's, that's why. And you've been at Refugee Roots for uh, just over five years now. Um, what was it that you did before that? And did it lead you into Refugee Roots? Was it also in nonprofit areas? Or, you know, was Refugee Roots the first time you decided, like you said, to stop being part of the problem and, and become part of the solution? Um, yeah, well, directly before working for Refugee Roots, I worked in a, a charity with adults with disability and um, complex health needs uh, as a support worker. Um, and before that, immediately before that, I'd worked um, cross-culturally living and working in West Africa with street-connected children and young people. And, and so the, the not-for-profit sector has been very much part of my life for um, at least uh, 10 years or, or more. Um, and I've been driven by wanting to work in the, in, in the not-for-profit sector for, for most of my adult life and even my as a teenager, um, a lot of that had to do with my, my Christian faith, and that was very influential in, in why I wanted to be involved in, in, in social development projects and social development work. Um, but um, yeah, I but also uh, worked uh, for a number of years as a musician, as a songwriter and performer um, as well. So that was, that was one of my other uh, careers that um, went alongside while I was a student and for a couple of years after studying I uh, worked in the music industry as a songwriter. And what is it because that's really lovely actually a lovely kind of story to unpack because you have um, obviously you, these two kind of roots in a way um, you've got this uh, this instinct in you to produce music to be creative to want to be part of that kind of expressive expressive um, uh, industry if you like and on the other hand, you've obviously got, like you said, this motivation um, to really help to bring about positive change that took you, you know, across the world to actually go out and, and do something yourself. Is, it, is there ever a conflict between those two things? Do you ever feel like you wish you could do one over the other? Have you had to choose one rather than the other, do you feel? Um, certainly in, in the past, um, that felt a little bit more like it conflicted. Um, and in, in, in many ways, um, uh, I did choose to pursue uh, working in the, in, in, for, for charity um, uh, over um, pursuing a, a music career um, uh, because I, I left my, 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 my job as a musician um, uh, to, to go and live uh, and work in Senegal and, um, and then... Um, yeah, was there for, for two years or so. And um, so that was a big decision, a very big decision where that took priority. But um, there are lots of things that, that influence us in life and that cause these kind of uh, decisive moments and, and that change our priorities. Um, I've, I've, I've got two young children as well. Um, and again, you know, um, I, I think at times, actually, if I were working in music the way I was before, um, there, would be, there, there would be difficulties there. There'd be challenges with balancing that, um, my priorities and my commitment to my family as well. So um, I think it's just part of life that um, it's not that uh, charity work is, is, is in contradiction to 
music or creative industries. Um, in fact, there's a lot of things about both worlds that are very, very similar um, and that um, have, um, I have very much the same affection and experience of um, because they, they, um, they're both very emotionally fueled um, in many ways, um, but also uh, driven by um, by your your convictions, your your beliefs, your um, whether that's something that you want to create and express through uh, art, or if it's um, uh, wanting to bring about change uh, in in a particular area. Um, there's got to be a certain amount of uh, determination um, and, and, and being comfortable with maybe being lonely at times and being um, one, the, the, the one that stands up, <laughs> speaks out. Um, yeah, it can be. Um, so I think the similarities too. I think determination is such a lovely word to use there as well, because when you were telling me about, um, you know, your movement from, going from this world in the music industry to then going out to Senegal for two years, that takes determination. It's more than just, you know, kind of feeling like you should, you know, because obviously a motivation that comes externally, pressure or whatever like that, um, isn't as powerful as one that comes internally. And determination, I feel, only comes from, from inside. So at that stage, you'd been working in the music industry, obviously something had drawn you to it and had driven you through it because it's not e an easy industry to be in anyway. But then you had this moment of determination that took you to Senegal and then you stayed there for two years, which must have been, you know, there must have been very challenging moments through that time. What was it you feel that had been missing in that world, in that music industry, that gave you the determination that drew you into uh, taking yourself across the world to work for two years in another country? Um, I think I think sometimes the the connection with other humans um, it, it was it wasn't always there and it's it wasn't always there um, in, in music um, sometimes uh, it, it felt very monotonous and it felt like any other job um, which is a danger of any industry that you're in actually to be honest um, and um, uh, but certainly um, there were, yeah, uh, there, was, there was a whole heap of change uh, and a current uh, of change that was rapid. I mean, it was digital downloads and streaming were all um, in existence, but uh, not to the extent that they are today. Uh, and um, I certainly, I saw the very early kind of um, experiences of putting out um, albums and, pro and, and selling CDs and merchandise and getting paid for gigs and saw the decline of that. And, um, when, and, and since, um, you know, I, I, still, I, still, I still work in music um, as and when I can. And um, I've, put, I've put stuff out um, uh, recently too, but that, that's been... Um, a lot more challenging than it was then, and I have you know have this these fond memories of when I used to play a show and could sell you know could sell CDs. I get a guarantee that I would sell CDs. Now it's like that's maybe one person. The people even have CD players anymore. Um, who knows? 
Um, and uh, yeah, just just kind of going through that, even even before now, um, you know, uh, what would have been a good deal in terms of a, a decent payment for for playing a show. It's it's very very rare that uh, artists certainly that aren't uh, well known um, are getting paid or getting paid very much because um, there's there's just there's so it's so saturated, so many people doing it, lots of people doing it for free or for publicity or for whatever other reasons, and um, yeah, uh, you can go to any 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 bar or club or whatever, and they could be music every night of the week and um so to stand out in in that is is incredibly challenging actually so yeah there's a whole whole wave of change that um i i didn't really get to ride through that because i i was i was on my way to a different direction uh with the, the charity work um that um i only really started to see the impact of that on me um as a, as a as an artist um and saw how difficult it was have since um the only thing is i've had the the comfort of um of a, of a salary that hasn't um meant that I've, I've i've been really desperate to to make sure that i get something from music it's really interesting there that you talked about it being like any other job and, um, you know, once you'd sort of said that, you then went on to talk about it like you were talking about a job, right? Like this process of getting stuff out there um, it's really interesting you saying about standing out. Obviously, therefore, you're talking about, you know, breaking through basically and making, uh, making a success. And um, I feel a lot of the people I've been speaking to recently, there's this, I don't think it's an uneasy balance, but there's definitely a sensitive balance between the fact that, much like you said about having a salary, now you work at a charity. On the one hand, there's everything we do because we care about it, that determination to make change happen, like you talked about. And on the other side, and really, again, you know, this is where it kind of comes into shoes again, is, you know, we've got to, we've got to buy shoes. We've got to keep ourselves clothed. We've got to keep ourselves fed. You've got to be able to fit your own mask, haven't you, before, you know, you can attempt to, to, to fit anybody else's. And so that that kind of juxtaposition of of jobs and causes is very interesting. So what I was really interested in to go right back again and say, so you were in that position of change, things happening in the music industry, but something had to have given you the determination, not just to go and do a job with a charity, but to go to Senegal and do something there. And obviously, you know, your your faith is involved in that, obviously the link to Africa. Um, but what was it do you feel in yourself that took you there, not just for a visit, not just for, you know, six months of helping, but for two years? Um, yeah, I think it had a lot to do with uh, faith and uh, Christian, my Christian faith. It had a lot to do with, um, uh, I, I guess, being so moved and so convinced of the problem uh, uh, that I had to do something uh, and that it was, wouldn't be enough to just um, to do something small or something. It had to be, it had to involve, I'm all in. Um, and, and I think that that kind of decision to, to go all in 
um, has you know even even though um, in 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 some ways um, you could say well that you can't sustain that forever maybe not but it does it does form you as a person it shapes you as a person and I hope now that I live my life every day um, better because um, I've let myself um, I've let myself be transformed um, in, in that kind of way. Um, so did you feel then that with the music industry, you weren't able to go all in, you weren't able to put all of yourself in? There was something, maybe it was the wrong shape or there wasn't an area that you could push yourself into, or it was this, like you said, this constricting kind of situation of an industry that was a job and you wanted more than a job, you wanted a calling. Um, yeah, that's really, really, really interesting question. Really hard. I mean, I think... Circumstances, you know, had had other opportunities have presented themselves. Had I had a, had I have had more encounters where it felt like actually everything I loved about music uh, and being creative was was what I was experiencing, and 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 those opportunities were there, then maybe I'd have been still doing that. But um, it definitely felt like there were more things in the way of me achieving that um, or achieving that kind of actualization of um, as hard as it was it was it wasn't impossible it wasn't um, and um, some of that you know maybe you know um, is the the fit or the opportunity or the just randomness of being somewhere at the right time at the right place um, and you know some of my some of the highlights for me as a musician and as an artist were the, the things that just came off the back of an opportunity that I did just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and um, I, I remember we had a I was working with a promoter and with an agency uh, at the time who managed to for about seventy or so artists secure performance slots at the London 2012 Olympics um, and we all got to go on stage and perform um, through the same uh, agency um, I was getting regular airplay um, they put song they put an album out um, that had a compilation of about 20 artists that were part of that performance at the 2012 Olympics which hit the charts and you know so all these kind of crazy things that just came out of one thing I happened to know some, I happened to have met somebody, and um, yeah, other times where um, I was living in France for for a year, and um, through there I met uh, an Irish uh, an Irish guy who was a songwriter, and from meeting him, I just started getting gigs and then playing festivals, and uh, then kind of France and Europe opens up to me in a way that it didn't when I was back in <laughs> my home country um, and yeah some it, it's it maybe sometimes as simple as those opportunities and being in the where you position yourself and um, maybe it, some of the opportunities that I pursued in the in the charity world were the opportunities that presented because I was I was in this place at, the, at that time and one thing kind of led to another and it 
you kind of run with the where there's momentum, don't you? And I think that where the momentum picked up in one direction, that's the direction that I, I headed in. Um, yeah. And uh, you go out. You're in. You're in Senegal for two years. As I say, obviously, you know, you must have gone through quite a lot of challenges. You've got a lot of determination to be out there anyway and to stay there. But one of the things um, I think that comes clear when you talk to anybody in the charity is how the impact, seeing the impact is what obviously continues that that drive, keeps you up, yeah. uh, keeps you going. You would have seen that, you know, firsthand. You're out there actually literally with your hands on the problem, getting stuck in. Once you'd finished that and you'd come back and you moved into other roles, did you find that it was difficult getting the same determination the same connection with the impact or did you just look at it in a different way that you were solving it in a different manner i looked i looked at it in a different way um and and actually um one of the things that i learned to appreciate about change uh is that um it it takes a long time for some of the some you know certainly for people that have experienced trauma um um, to, to to come through and recovery is it can be slow and it can be up and down um, and people can make heaps of progress and then be right back uh, to um, or even worse off than they were before because of because these deep rooted problems and um, actually being able to 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 go alongside and work alongside people through all of that even when change doesn't seem to be happening or it is slow or you have those kind of experiences of of it of regression or or whatever is is that it is so beautiful actually to to see small changes and big ones and to to know that somehow you were part of that uh, and if I liken that to music I think for me in music it was certainly if it wasn't creating something like a um, an album project and hearing the finished product and being so proud of what that is and um, it was those live performances were with the audience you had that that connection it was, and it was very much an emotional connection um, and that's where I see the similarities with the charitable uh, side of things is that it is that emotional connection to another human that you feel um, when you when you when you see the 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 road they've taken, the path that you know when you see how far they've come, and um, I think that's that's the that's where the determination comes from is, and you can have lots of small moments of every day where you just have that connection with another person, and um, you feel like you're you're making a difference um, in some way, um, and that can be true. Of, any industry, any any job, any profession, actually, we can all have those experiences daily where we connect with another person and it, 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 it we enrich them and they enrich us. I totally agree. And I think that's something powerful that is missing from so many people's working lives, let alone, you know, their, their kind of lives themselves. Um, you're now a charity director, so you, you've got quite a lot of responsibility you can't necessarily be at the cold face all the time. It must be quite a challenging position again. And how are you managing to 
continue that connection like you've just said to to the human connection to the emotional connection how do you how do you keep that alive often enough yeah. and in the right kind of dosage if you like to keep <laughs> going through what you're doing while you're actually also very busy um i think it's it's not letting the busyness or the um sometimes what can be largely administrative uh labor um overwhelm um me or um take priority over valuing an individual person and their needs um and as a smaller charity actually we do um uh it's it's easier for us and it's easier for people like myself um to to have that personal interaction with the people that we're working with um and um you know i, I i'm still regularly uh, present and um, available at uh, projects that we run. Um, and I still pick up um, aspects of my colleagues' work when, um, when they're not able to, if they're off or on leave or um, for, for any, any, any reason of absence. Um, so uh, we often, you know, one of the things that we provide as a, a service where we'll accompany somebody to an appointment so it might be like taking somebody to a medical appointment or taking somebody to a home office appointment and um, we largely rely on volunteers for that but whenever we can't find volunteers or perhaps there's a particular situation where it, it's most appropriate that a paid staff member takes that person then um, I'm equally on the list of who can do this as any one of my other colleagues um, so it's a little bit easier for us in our being a smaller charity mindset to have that approach and to take that time with people um, uh, and I, I, I manage a, a smaller smaller team um, interesting thing has been that we we now have considerably more volunteers than you know um we were used to um we in the last year we had about 115 volunteers um, support the charity and um that's you know for for two years now at least we've been at plus 100 volunteers um whereas other years we, we were sort of looking at maybe working with sort of 50 to 60 volunteers in a year and um that's a bit more of a struggle, actually. That's been more of a struggle to have that um, where I had a lot more hands-on, a lot more interaction with our volunteers and they knew me more and we were more present um, together. Um, that's something that I haven't had as much time in. Um, thankfully, I've got a, a colleague whose role is that they oversee the befriending project and they also... Um, do a lot of the training and induction with uh, volunteers. Um, and so there is somebody that is doing that for the charity. But um, so in a way, there's the delegation of responsibility and somebody else is um, taking on work that I was previously doing. Um, it has meant that I, I don't have my ear to the ground as much as I used to um, uh, in relating to volunteers, but it's still, um, it's still something again that we have volunteer meetups on a regular basis. Um, um, 
we have regular projects and activities, weekly stuff that uh, even if I can just be present for a bit of the time or every so often make sure that I'm there uh, for the session, um, that, keeps, that keeps me grounded and keeps me um, in the loop of what it's really like for the people that we're supporting. So I'm never too far away from uh, understanding uh, what's happening operationally, what's happening um, and, and, and who we're working with, who, who you know. Um, and it, I think one of the things that really, really is, is challenging too, but a really good thing that I've learned to do is just remember people's names. <laughs> Even if it's just just a first name, uh, that is that's always because um, that means a lot. And you say hi, and whatever the name is, and you say how are you, that means a lot. Because even if I don't see them every week or have the level of interaction that I maybe did before uh, when I started in, in the job, um, I'm still I'm, I'm still there. I'm still present, and and there's. It's, it's been observed too by our participants, I mean, um, and volunteers as well, who have been with the charity from when I started. They've seen that as we've grown and as the team's grown and as we're working with more uh, asylum seekers and refugees and we've got more volunteers, that we've had less time um, um, with them or they've, they, they've kind of come, they've, they've expressed that, um, they're aware of that of that of that growth and the impact of that but um have commented equally on um it's still nice to know that i can still call you or i can still that i'll still see you at one of our um one of the the activities or projects because um yeah they've still got that, that memory um and we we have that relationship was formed then is is still significant so thinking about um the ear to the ground and you know being on the cold face and imagining that um, i'm going to give you a challenge now imagining that tomorrow you're going to start up a whole new charity from scratch but somebody else is taking care of the legalities the governance all that kind of stuff how would you go about getting to your first 1000 donations in terms of getting awareness, connecting with people, what would the process be? What do you recommend that people would do in that situation? Um, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd be quite happy to see a thousand donations for refugee boots, <laughs> never mind a new charity. Um, okay, well, that, that's really good then, because um, I mean, <laughs> it's not really good, you know, because you, you're in need of it, but thinking then um, more practically, how are you as refugee roots? trying to get to that that thousand number trying to get to uh, to bridge that funding gap basically to make those donations come in and be regular and be supportive so you can go out and do the work i think there's there's a few things and and this i you know to go back to kind of music as well and maybe somewhere where i was um less resourced and uh more inexperienced was with the whole idea of marketing and branding and um, I, 
I don't, I was, I was, I was pretty convinced that for refugee routes to stand a chance, we would need to invest something, even if it was only a little, um, in that process. Um, in the from, you know, coming coming up with the name to the the more kind of the design element of stuff. Um, visually and, and everything else but and, and it's still a, a, an ongoing uh, struggle is is meeting kind of the, the the expectations and standards and the um the comp- competition because that is that is and those are very business terms but that is the world that we're in and you do have to stand out uh, you have to be you've got to have your own story and there's got to be a reason why somebody's going to, um, if it's not listen to your music, donate to your organisation um, over anyone else. Um, it's not that other causes matter less or matter more or that one person's better than the other. It, it, it sometimes does come down to how much you stand out or how well you're understood uh, by by anyone looking in or observing or anyone that's trying to, you know, the person that hears something on the news or on the radio or just feels very much like they want to do something to make a difference and they, they, they start typing into a search engine, um, refugees, how can I help Nottingham? And they, they have a list of websites and they start looking through and they want to donate. Uh, why do they donate to one over another? It can easily come down to that visual experience, that the, what they're reading, the content they're seeing, um, the, the way that things are phrased, um, even just the language that's used that convinces them this is this is this is what I want to give my money to. Um, how have um, you gone about um, telling the story then of refugee roots, and what lessons have you learned in trying to find the story that that resonates with people? Um, well, for us, like I said, we, we started out with a um, we started out with some branding uh, uh, support and workshops with a branding agency who who helped us kind of understand our audiences and understand. Um, what our key messages were. Um, we've since worked with um, PR consultants. We've since worked, we've continued to work with um, the branding agency that we worked with previously to um, also um, create some other assets like a, a MailChimp newsletter and things like that. Um, and it was really through that we kind of took all of the kind of knowledge gained through those um, experiences and um, we've kind of DIY'd it since with, uh, with those resources. And that's how we've, we've had to kind of um, go through the, the you know, um, the, the, the first couple of years of, since the launch of the charity is just, we've only got so much resource to, 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 to pay for that, that skill and that input and that contribution. Um, and, 
but we we still need to we, we need to be able to do uh, we, we need to be able to do it ourselves as well because um, knowing the the real world situation of charities like ours is we don't have massive marketing budgets we don't have massive um, teams of uh, fundraising teams like a bigger charity might or even like um, a a a not for, um, a, 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 a business might um, we we're more countable in some ways in that, you know, uh, people expect different things from a charitable organization as how money is used. Um, you know, with all of that, we've got to make the most out of those resources. And so being able to do, as, sorry. That's all right, don't worry. <laughs> Life happens, man. It's like, it's fine. Sorry. Um, uh, um, I, I was gonna. I was almost gonna jump in actually because I was. What I was gonna ask to kind of round us off is um, is to ask really. You know, you've talked a lot about the the processes you've gone through, so the people you've brought in, or the the kind of systems you've used, and now obviously taking this DIY approach because obviously, like you say, you know, the, the budget sort of system is is very constricting. But if if you were to give one piece of advice to another charity who was going, right, yeah, story. I need to tell a story that sets me apart so that they can choose me and not basically the competition, like you said. How do they start that process? And how do they know that they're doing something, they're telling a story that isn't just guff and nonsense yeah. for kind of marketing reasons? They're actually telling a story that's going to get them somewhere. That's, I mean, that's that's an incredible way to think of it. it it needs to be authentic. It needs to ring true. Um, I mean, my advice would be: if you can work with an with a with an external uh, branding agency um, or um, consultant, uh, even if they're not going to take on all of the work, to to help you start listening well um, and to start to formulate that story um, and, um, and to be able to then present that visually. Um, you, said, you said listening, and I, I think it's really easy, isn't it, when we talk about marketing that we go immediately into, like you're, you're sort of saying now, forgive me for jumping in, but we start talking about the delivery. So, you know, how the website looks, the words we use. But I think one of the things you said I want to go back on and pin on is you yeah. said about listening well. Now, that to me sounds like that's that's the step that people miss out so often. And what does that yeah. look like? How do you mean listening well? So, you know, the same question will come from us from funders. But how do you know that your services are needed or how do you know that um, how do you listen? How are your participants involved in the direction of the the projects and it's 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 taking that time to to ask questions to 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 get to know your audience your the people that you're working with um and for something like charity uh for for refugee which there were so many different audiences there is there is the donor there was the funder there's the there's the volunteer, there's the participant, um, and they all have different needs and they all have different 
things that their hopes and dreams and frustrations and they're of different age and demographic and and so to be able to engage with all of those different audiences and hear what it is that they want what they're looking for um takes time and um it, you know in in some ways uh it it was whilst we might have only we brought in a branding agency um you know um six months before we registered as a charity or whatever it was but that process had begun long before um because from the day that we were delivering services we were we were getting to know our participants um as we worked with volunteers um we got to know them uh, but the thing is is, is is being um not assuming that we've understood their felt needs or their hopes or their dreams but to keep asking to keep listening um and so it would be no good for us to continue going forward on one trajectory assuming that our message still resonates still makes sense because what we asked a couple of years ago uh, we need to constantly be coming back to those questions and having those conversations um, and from a practical point of view for us the one way that we do that is we have food we invite people for food and we we just we just talk informally um, and there are those opportunities to have those more formal settings. We can use um, we can use things like surveys and uh, polls, but but it can be as simple as getting people together, some food, and just talking like you would to a friend or to anyone that you value their opinion and that you want to hear from, um, and um, being okay with you know criticism it might come your way being okay with negativity um and um not being threatened by that but being embracing of whatever whatever that's going to mean um i think it takes openness um to really to really listen um yeah um I you know because i think for us as, a, as an organization they some of the some of the, the ways in which we were being shaped through that kind of process of involving a branding agency and, and, and asking those questions did mean that for some people it was it was letting go of some things that were very important to them um, that they felt were important. Um, I think one of the biggest things was the change of name from um, and actually that was that was that was something that even in changing from we were previously called Rainbow Project to being called Refugee Roots, and um, for those people that went through that process, even though that was so difficult for them, they they saw how we got to where we ended up, and they appreciate the journey, and um, they've seen how everything that they thought was wrapped up in a name has found other ways of expressing itself in the, the the kind of rollout of the brand of refugee roots in whether that's been in um the colors or the 
the the language that's used or the um, in the logo even. Um, so they, they, they can see traces of, it's not completely forgotten, it's not completely lost. They see that it was a, a process that, although difficult, maybe to let go of something that meant a lot to them, um, they could see, they understood why we were on that, uh, why we were changing, why we were making that difference. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that's kind of, yeah, part of it really is, is, you want you want people to to understand the reasons um and they they need the opportunities to hear other perspectives too um so opportunity to to you know a, a new charity forming or looking at, at these kinds of questions um to start getting people together and and getting people okay with listening to one another um, breaking bread together <laughs> yeah i mean if if you ultimately want to see the same thing then we can all let go of we can all let go of our own agendas if we if we if we trust one another then actually what we ultimately want what we what we really want is we want to make the world a better place for refugees we want Nottingham to be a better place for refugees. We want them to feel welcomed and valued. If we're if we're so if that's we're committed to that, um, yeah, then all we can we can we can make our um, our uh, accommodations for one another, and um, it's much easier once we're we're okay with that. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it, really, that accommodations, but also that um, you know, looking at the similar desires and coming together under that cause. Because, um, you know, when you look at telling a story, again, so many people immediately start to tell their own stories, don't they? We'll tell the story of the organisation, we'll tell the story of the cause, we'll tell the story. But actually, like you say, listening is about telling other people's stories. And the best storytellers tell other people's stories rather than just talk about themselves all the time yeah so um well thank you very much for telling me your story it's been absolutely yeah, fantastic right. to talk to you i really appreciate your time and I hope, um, hope that's um yeah useful yeah it's been absolutely brilliant <laughs> yeah and, together uh, brilliant and, and all the best on your journey to a thousand donations <laughs> yeah i mean so that's, you'll get that's, that's a new that's a new target <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks very yeah. much Ellen. no that's cool <laughs>